Welcome to Speak the Truth, a podcast devoted to giving biblical truth for educating, equipping, and encouraging the individual and local church for counseling and discipleship. We're live from the 2019 Call to Counsel Conference, and we're joined live with our co-host Shauna. Woohoo! Shauna Van Dyke. Jeremy. Here. Good morning. Good morning, indeed. And our special guest, Greg Wilson. Greg, how are you doing this morning? Hey, glad to be here. Good, good Excited. deal. It's yeah. early. Got your coffee ready to go. Got my coffee awesome. ready to rock. Yeah, well, we got some good questions for you today, so we're okay. excited to hear from you. Yeah, we definitely do. And so with that, let's go ahead and get right on into it. So, Greg, if you would, just uh, introduce yourself to our listeners. Yeah, my name is Greg Wilson, and I am the licensed professional counselor here in the Metroplex area, Dallas-Fort Worth area. I have a counseling practice called Soul Care Associates um, with just myself and a couple of uh, younger counselors that I'm training and, and developing uh, their counseling skills. So, how many years you've been counseling now? Uh, I've been doing professional counseling like this for about ten years, for about a decade. Prior to that, I was actually a pastor, so mm. I was in the church. Awesome. Okay, so, so yeah. you good? You got you got a little feel of both, then. So that'd yes. be good. Very good. Yes. Very good. All right. Um, background: school education. Uh, yeah. So have a couple of master's degrees from Southwestern <laughs> uh, Baptist Theological Seminary, okay. and then uh, just in December. Uh, graduated with my Doctor of Educational Ministry Ooh, in Biblical Counseling from Southern awesome. Seminary. So that is that is a big deal. That is yeah. not an easy feat, is it? Uh, no, it was pretty challenging, especially yeah. while working full time and doing mm-hmm. all the other things I was doing in the local church. So, wow. babe, we're we're totally um, so much wisdom here. We're out of our league. And yeah, so I don't have a we, whole lot to say. So here we cannot say does that make sense because it totally does to them. Does that make sense? Right? Though? Yeah. They need to say that to us. So, y'all. We I give say, y'all, does that we, make sense quite a bit? Okay. Well, so. we give you permission for that because right. it probably doesn't, but we're going to roll with this. And I see just realized sometimes my brain thinks and I just speak as it thinks yeah. and it may not necessarily make sense. Yeah. So, I always ask, yeah. does that make anyway, sense? Love it. Yeah. All right. That's well, great. So, you're here at the conference. You're going to be teaching on a track for domestic violence. Ugh. Yeah. 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 So fill us in on that. Yeah. So, I mean, domestic violence is honestly something that the church as a whole has not been, has not done well at. Um, we don't have a very good reputation in the uh, greater community um, mm. for the way that we have um, helped people. In fact, uh, in general, I think that our reputation is that we've hurt people mm. um, by um, uh, basically kind of assuming that what is actually domestic abuse or domestic violence is really just kind of normative marriage, marital conflict. Mm. So how would you people, define it then? How would you define that then? Yeah. So my definition of domestic abuse that I, um, use in my practice and that I've used, um, in my uh, doctoral program as well is the desecration of the image of God through, um, patterns or a pattern of intentionally misusing power Mm. overtly or covertly mm. in words or actions to gratify self. That's so, very a thorough definition. Uh, there is. And he memorized that. He's not reading a piece of paper, there, guys. He had that. There's a lot. Yeah, well, I've talked about a lot. <laughs> there's a lot of pieces to that, right? A lot of moving parts to that. But the thing that I think the church needs to really key on, and it's why I use that phrase at the very front of the definition, is that it's the, de- the desecration of the image of God mm. in another person. Powerful. Uh, because God has created us for rule and dominion, right? We know that from Genesis 1 and 2. Um, and yet, in the fall... What's happened is that we have, just like we have with everything else, honestly, that the Lord's given us, we've perverted that and used it for our own selfish gain, really. Um, And so the perversion of um, the call to rule and have dominion and, um, you know, have dominion over the earth, um, all of that has gone, um, has turned into abuse. Like Mm -hmm. that's what that, when the perversion of that is abuse. 
in the tyrannical fashion. Do you see yeah, abuse right. happening more in, in a gender thing? I mean, I think most people equate abuse that you immediately think male. Yeah. But I mean, we got, fe- I mean, I know in our marriage, I really struggle with anger and I totally threw remotes and fists. My husband has a scar to prove it, unfortunately. <laughs> I mean, hey, I know that that's yeah. like just being right. real here, but yeah. it is not good. Right. And, um, and I think most people lose out on acknowledging that us women in wanting control and the things that we're doing is um, saying, hey, f- females are struggling with that as well. Would you agree or? Yeah, it is in general. So the, the, st- most conservative numbers that I've found is that about 85% of domestic violence, domestic abuse is male on female. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, so may but I, maybe, maybe I need to rewind what I just said. <laughs> no, 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 it's good. No, cut, it's relevant. It's good. Cut that out, Michael, cut that out. Because it does happen. Uh, it does go the other way. And I think that that's an important thing to recognize. Mm. You will hear, and even those who are in our track this, this weekend, will hear us use the language, and in all the literature, this is pretty standard, that when we're referring to abusers or perpetrators, we almost always use the masculine pronoun. Mm. And when we're referring to victims, it's very common to hear the, f- the feminine pronouns okay. used. And that's only because uh, that's just the most common um, uh, manifestation of it that we see. Mm. But, um, but it clearly, um, it, does, it does sometimes go both ways, and we have to be aware of that as well. Yeah. I think in the in the local church, to me, one of the things that immediately would stand out if I'm a pastor, if I'm a, a lay counselor, a biblical counselor, you know, you get that couple and, and all of a sudden this has been revealed in the session. There's There could be a lot of fear. It's a scary situation to be in, just like, you know, suicide prevention and domestic violence is very real. And um, we don't know how to properly handle it. And so what yeah. feedback or advice would you give? Um, because it's sensitive. You want to be sensitive, but you also might in areas need to be aggressive and take immediate action. And so can you give us some tips on that just to alleviate some of those fears? And Absolutely. So, uh, and we were talking about this before we started in general, um, in this is one area where um, I'm, I'm okay with engendering just a little bit of fear um, in the local church in terms of, or at least maybe awe or, you know, the fact that this is something that's very serious. We had just the other night, I was telling our team, we met for dinner last night, uh, the night before, so this is Thursday, so like Tuesday night, I saw on the news um, here locally that there was a domestic um, violence homicide that occurred um, where the the man was um, choking his, uh, I think it was, I don't even think they were married, I think it was his girlfriend or his fiance or something, the night before, um, and she got a restraining order on him the night before and he came back the very next day violated that restraining order and Mm. murdered her and then the comment from his ex-wife um he had been married before and that had obviously been an issue in their marriage was it could very easily have been me Mm. and so we have to take this seriously as in people die from domestic violence and it's an escalating pattern and so when it gets caught early praise the lord that's a that's that's something to be excited about, and that's uh, an awesome responsibility that we in the church and then we who do counseling um, have is to steward that uh, disclosure or that discovery of domestic violence um, uh, well, that, mm-hmm. that it's an early, when it's maybe just emotional abuse or when it's maybe just verbal abuse, hasn't even uh, gotten to the point of strangulation like it had uh, mm-hmm. in that case I told you about, which obviously that's extremely violent. Right. Um, but 
but even when it's earlier in, in the process and it hasn't even maybe gotten physical yet, that's where often the church and even sadly a lot of counselors that I know have made the mistake of just calling this normative marital conflict. This is conflict in your marriage, and they continue to see this couple um, as a marriage counseling project. Mm-hmm. Where in, if in reality, what those who have experience in this area would do is that's the time that you really need to end marriage counseling. Um, you need to say, let's, we're going to suspend marriage counseling for now, and we're going to ask you, um, sir, typically um, it's, it's the man, like I said, sure. um, you, uh, we're going to put you with this counselor who really is trained in working with abusers, and um, to the female, we're going to put you in this counseling with this counselor who's trained in trauma. Uh, because really mm. it is traumatic. Mm-hmm. Um, and and sometimes, especially earlier on, the victim doesn't even understand that there really is trauma that's going on here that maybe is even attaching her to her uh, to her abuser in an unhealthy way, right? And so she needs someone who can come alongside and say, what you've experienced is trauma, um, and this is an unhealthy attachment that you have to your abuser, and that's why it's part of the reason why we're separating counseling. So, Greg, what, what are, because as you said, sometimes these women aren't even aware that abuse is going on. What are some indicators that uh, women especially can, can be made aware of that would indicate possible abuse going yeah, on in the relationship? Question. Yeah, that's, that's, uh, that's really good. And obviously, there are a lot of different uh, ways that this uh, can manifest. But going back to my definition, um, the, the key is a misuse of power and control. Mm-hmm. So, so generally, broadly, where you see that. So, for example, um, in the financial area, you know, he um, gives her an allowance, you know, and that's all she can spend and very tightly controlling on money. Maybe he doesn't even uh, allow her to have access to the, the couple's financial statements mm-hmm. or bank mm-hmm. accounts or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, in, in the emotional realm, it's, it's various means of kind of emotional control, whether that is like even limiting her relationships and saying, hey, you know, I don't really like it when you hang out with that group of women or whatever. Um, And it becomes this thing where he's controlling and manipulating. Like at the granular level of everything. Yes. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, often that's where we pick up on it in uh, marriage counseling is when we see those elements of control. You know, again, I said in the definition, I think it's important for us to think about this overtly, um, or covertly in words or actions. So there are a wide variety of ways that abuse can be manifested, especially in the early going. Mm-hmm. And so, but what we're looking for is any kind of manner of control, manipulation, uh, anything like that uh, would be would be a big key. Mm-hmm. So I, talk, talk about the, the whole concept of gaslighting. It's just amazing when I sit with women who are in these situations and their norm is so skewed that it's very difficult for them to sometimes even accept the reality that abuse is going on. So this whole thing yeah. of gaslighting, what is yeah. that? So do you guys know the background of the of even the word gaslighting? No, I would, that was actually literally just about it, to ask it, that. It, it, because it sounds like it's like, why would you even call it that? It mm-hmm. actually comes from a movie yeah. in the 1940s, I think, mm-hmm. a really old movie. Um, and, and basically, if I could just explain the plot line of this movie, yeah. that explains what gaslighting is, yeah. which essentially is um, this husband is – trying to convince his wife that um, she's crazy. Mm-hmm. Um, and so and so what he does is he goes up in, 
goes up in the attic of their home and she hears these footsteps and she doesn't know what's going on. She says, you know, there's, there's something going on in the attic. And he's like, he's like, baby, there's nothing going on in the attic. It, it's fine. I don't know. I don't know where you're getting that. Maybe you're just hearing things, you know? Um, and so, and, and that goes on for, you know, for a period of time until she literally does believe that she's crazy. Um, and so, and, and that's the, that's the origin of the term. And so the, basically it is that it is a way of an abuser getting away with control by convincing his wife that she doesn't know what she's talking about, wow. that she's crazy, that she just doesn't understand. Destroy this, credibility. Right? And then I yeah. have absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times it's used spiritually, right. As mm. well, honey, you just don't understand. You, you, you know, read first Peter three, you just don't get, you know, what the, your role is in this situation or, you know, what's, what's supposed to be happening. Right. Instead of um, sitting down with her and actually walking through scripture. With right. Her. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and so, and so, yeah, it's, it is, it's, it's, called sometimes it's called colloquially crazy making and that's what it is mm. yeah gaslighting i thought that was like a mob situation <laughs> <laughs> well yeah. i i think i think it was wise how you um just encouraged us that you could be in marriage counseling and then see these things and you terminate marriage counseling to get them the individual and sufficient counseling they need that way. That's right. Um, that is so good, you know, to just remember as counselors to realize like, yeah, they might've come in for this, but you as a counselor might need to make um, a, a decision that is saying we need to go a little bit deeper in here. Yeah. Like so, don't generalize everything, like really pay attention to what's underlying. Right. Because in that situation, the, the perpetrator needs work in terms of their entitlement and their control issues, right? And the, the victim needs different work in terms of processing mm-hmm. their trauma. And if they are meeting in the same room with under marriage counseling with a, a, a counselor who's, that's their MO is just doing marriage counseling, then what tends to end up happening is that the um, perpetrator whose MO is control will try to triangulate the counselor mm-hmm. onto his side, mm-hmm. right? And so actually what ends up happening is covert abuse ends up happening actually in the counseling office. Wow. Um, and, and that's, you know, and, and then again, and then the gaslighting will occur. You just misunderstood what the counselor said, baby. You, you can tell that, I mean, he, he was clearly saying that you need to submit to me, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And so, um, yeah, Scary. and so, yeah, so you really need to avoid any kind of, if you've got in your church uh, marriage recovery or marriage reconciliation ministries even um when in the early stages of abuse that's not the place for that Mm. yeah let me ask you this though because we're saying hey we're going to separate them from a counseling standpoint but what's happening at home would you advise a separation or anything to happen within the home yeah so that's a really great question and uh, another thing that often in the church that we kind of get wrong so and we get it wrong a couple of different ways right so you've got some people in the church who have training on this and what they say is you need to get out of there just for your safety i mean i'm just concerned about your safety you got to get out of the house um, and then we've got other people that say no separation is like that's like a step towards divorce which in the church we don't uh, believe in and mm, so we, we don't want you to do extremes. that and so we want you to stay in in the marriage what i counsel people to do and and keep this in mind and this is part of the trauma uh, it's part of working with victims is if you can imagine that since we're saying that abuse is a misuse of power and control, since we're understanding abuse in that way, then what that means is that this um, victim has been living with this abuser um, being essentially told, this is what you should do. This is what you should not do all the time. Like that's mm. what, that's what they've become used to. Right. And so then sometimes mm. the church and even well-intentioned counselors enter in and we say things like, 
what you need to do mm-hmm. is you need to get separated. You need, you need to separate yourself from this man. What we want to do is we want to actually allow that victim to have a voice. We want to say, you know, um, I'm a little bit concerned that this thing might escalate. Abuse always escalates, so you need to be aware of that. Um, and, and you need to be aware that you have options and you need to be aware that maybe even in our church, we've got places that you could stay. We've got people, um, on alert, by the way, churches, uh, great idea. If yeah. you want to really care yes. for people, red well. alert, red alert. Um, yes. you know, we've got people that, um, that would be happy to welcome you into their home for a short time, you know, just for you, for your safety and for your protection. But we're going to let that be your decision. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. And that's so freeing. Uh, honestly, sometimes with someone who's been in an abusive uh, relationship for a long period of time, you have to really do some convincing. Yeah. You really have a choice here, mm. right? Because they they have just been told what to do. Um, and so we don't want to fall into the trap in the church and as counselors of telling victims what to do because that's we're just, um, at that point, we're just conspiring unintentionally, but we're just conspiring with their abuser and doing the same thing. That's very, very powerful. Um, do, in, in that vein, do you ever, do you recognize that women often lose their, their identity so that even to make a choice, they don't even know that if they have the capacity to choose? And Absolutely. what do you do in that situation? Absolutely. And so what they need in that is they need good, and this is where the church can sure come in and help, right? Especially with good training, mm-hmm. like what we're doing here in terms of helping people mm-hmm. just to be aware of the dynamics. They need good friends who can come alongside and just help them process mm. that. And that does not have to be, I mean, it can be a professional counselor, but that doesn't have to be a professional counselor. That can be a godly person in the church who has training, who knows, who has understands trauma um, and, and understands kind of these dynamics and is able to say, look, you could do this or you could do this, or you, you, there's, there's a, there's a wide range of choices that mm. you could do here. And then um, helps them assess their safety. Okay, so let's talk just for a minute. I, I, I would be remiss if we finished this interview and I didn't talk about safety planning because that's huge. Yes, that so, is huge. Thank you. Um, so you need to um, be able to help them come up with a safety plan. And really all that is, I mean, there's some online. Brad Hambrick has a great one on his website um, that you can uh, pull off, and, and I can get you guys some others if you want to have those for your for your listeners mm-hmm. later Yeah, on. that'll be good. But, um, but basically... It is simply a um, uh, just a set of questions that you're going to walk them through to help them kind of understand like what they would do if they got in various situations. So, for example, like where is a place if you decided that you needed to leave the house tonight? Where would you go just for a few days? Mm-hmm. And then if you decide you need to ha- leave the house for a longer period of time, or maybe you're at that short-term place, but it's kind of expired in terms of what they're you know, able to do, then where would you go if you needed to be out of the house for a few weeks or even a, a few months? And then where's the longer term plan that you would go? Would you go stay with, do you have parents in the area, for example, or someplace where you could stay for a longer period of time or, you know, whatever that looks like. Right. Mm. Uh, but just helping them think through that. If they've where's got the fire kids, escape, right. Where's ah, the fire escape? Strategy. That's a good yes. One, yeah. Hey, yes. to the, what was the term earlier? Gaslighting. 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 That's when right. I, when I hear oh, when I say that fire. gaslight, I need that. I, I, where's, where's the fire exit? That's right. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, where could you? Where would be a place that like you could make a quick exit? For example, if a door is being blocked, which is a pretty common abusive wow. tactic, right? Um, do you need to have some stuff packed for yourself? If you've got small children, do you need to have something packed for the kids, right? Because then that's the hard thing is 
then all of a sudden things escalate. Like I said, they, it always does things escalate. And they're like, I don't know, you know, like I've got these kids, like what am I going to do with the kids? So even having some stuff packed for kids, particularly if you've got small children. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and I know of quite a few uh, women who in those situations have opted to stay in the home for all kinds of reasons of their own, which are fine. I mean, that's their, that's their choice to make. They've opted to stay in the home but they've got a bag packed in the trunk of their car or in the closet or whatever that has some, some stuff for them, some stuff for their kids, and they know exactly what they're going to do um, if they need to get out of the house. Um, and so that's what we want to do is we want to help uh, equip them to make the best decision that they can make and then let them make it. Does that make sense? Yeah. Absolutely. That's good. So It does make sense. I said that. I said, does that make sense? <laughs> yeah. Thank you. I am a better counselor already, though. So yeah. thank you for, yes, it makes sense. And, and boy, is it going to be beneficial. No, it's just helpful because p part of that process, Greg, is, you know, they, in that oppression, they lose their voice. And, yeah. and they know in the back of their minds, like they know what they understand they ought to. Yeah. But they've been so oppressed for so long that they just they they they're defeated. That's right. They can't bring themselves to have that power to to proceed and do that. So, and that's that's a good word in the counseling context. If you know we're counseling that is, you know, giving them that voice, helping restore their their confidence in their own thought process and what do they need to do. And yeah, and yeah that's good. So yeah. so for the anyone that's listening who is a pastor or a counselor, and they they see someone who they're recognizing these indicators are present. Uh, talk a little bit about first Peter three, because mm -hmm. often I've had women come to mm -hmm. me and they've said they've been told over and over and over by their church that they're yeah. to win him over by her behavior, et cetera. Speak into that. Yeah. Um, that's so good. Well, you know, in the first place, um, first Peter three obviously occurs in a wider context, mm -hmm. right? And so we have to think about the fact that even the entire book of first Peter was written to people um, who were refugees, people who were exiles, people mm -hmm. who had fled persecution, right? Mm -hmm. So that's in, if you go to First Peter 1, 1, that's what you find is he's writing this book to elect exiles, right? Mm -hmm. yes. Who have actually fled persecution. And so clearly, um, not only do we have that, but we have the example of David fleeing from Saul. I mean, it, in Scripture as a whole, um, there are lots of examples of people fleeing oppression mm -hmm. and God being completely for that, right? Um, and not being against that at all. So um, anyone who would use that, um, that those brief few verses in First Peter 3. As a to proof say, text. Yeah, as yeah. a proof text to say you've got to stay in this mm. um, home and in this relationship and in this situation, even though it's abusive and bring glory to God in that way. They're just not understanding the wider range of even the, the context of that, of that text, right? And then, and then really what First Peter three is in in my mind it, it's 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 really based on so what we have at the very end of uh first peter two is this beautiful picture of mm. the gospel yeah. you know that that jesus when he was when he suffered he did not he, he did not retaliate uh entrusted himself to the father and and so in like ways in fact actually the very first word of first peter three uh one and the verse word of first Peter three, seven, which is addressed to the men is likewise, like mm. likewise, or in like manner. Um, and so in like manner as Jesus, we're supposed to be doing what Jesus did. We're supposed to be living out the gospel in marriage, right? Which that'll preach in, in just in marriage counseling, or when you're talking about abuse that we're supposed to be living out the gospel. But what I like about that, Greg, as far as 
center staging on the gospel in that is yeah. Jesus fled, right? When he saw danger and he knew it wasn't his time, he fled. Yeah. So, I mean, as a spouse, like, right. it doesn't mean that you stay in it. That's right. No, 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 you flee. Yeah. So that, that's good. Yeah. That's good. I mean, even Jesus' parents, right? When he was, when he was first born and there was danger, they, mm-hmm. they went to Egypt, mm-hmm. right? So, I mean, lots and lots of examples in, in that scripture. That speak against that proof texting yeah, that oftentimes that, happens. That speak against that, yeah. right? So safety is, our safety is important to God. And if we look at, use the word oppression a minute ago, as we look at the way um, that God responds to oppression. I heard their cry. Right? I hear their cry. Yes. Mm-hmm. I, he saw, he heard. I love that text at the very, the very last couple of verses of Exodus 2. Um, after it says, uh, another king... Um, arose in Egypt who did not know Joseph, right? And, and, and then uh, the people of God are being persecuted. It says that God heard, he saw, mm. he knew. Um, and then in Exodus chapter 3, he acts by sending, um, by, you know, by appearing to Moses in the burning bush and sending a rescuer, right? Wow. And so God is all about rescuing the oppressed. And in the church, we need to be about rescuing the oppressed and not encouraging them to stay in. Mm. Yeah. So not to over-spiritualize, but in that particular moment, we become the Moses in that situation to help deliver, help them, you know, deliver them out of that. Absolutely. We've got a calling to, again, going all the way back to the image of God that I started with, right? We're talking about the desecration of the image of God. Let's talk about um, actually living into the image of God and doing mm. what we're supposed to be doing as image bearers, right? Which is doing what God would do. And what God would do is he would rescue the oppressed and we need to be doing that as well. So like in one anothering well, right? In the local church context, right. if I'm seeing my brother and sister being oppressed and seeing that image of God being desecrated. Yeah. Like I want to help her. I want to help them out of that. That's right. And we actually have an obligation. I definitely think it becomes obligatory in that moment for us to, to do That's something right. on that. Yeah, yeah. that's good. Wow, lots of mic drops here uh, today already. But listen, I can't let the women off the hook. And I know that I kind of was raw earlier, but I do think there's a form of abuse for our wives out there um, who are controlling and nagging and manipulative, and that can definitely be a form of abuse. Um, Would you agree to that? And what would you directly say to those women? So there's a couple of things. So keep in mind that when we're talking about abuse, we're talking about we're talking about patterns. I used that word earlier okay. as well as part of the definition. Um, and so um, there's a difference between being sinful, right, and having sinful patterns, which mm-hmm. we all have, mm-hmm. which could be mm-hmm. being a nag or whatever, and being abusive, right? And so... What um, about like a wife withholding? You know, it's like a misuse of power. So yeah. if you don't do this, you know, you're not going to get this type of yes. thing. So what would that? And depending on the that? context, that definitely could be, okay. that could be one of those rare situations where she's actually um, the abusive one in, in the marriage. That could be one of those situations. Again, what I would say is those situations are rare. And I would say that often what we see in, what, in the church, what we should really be recognizing in that is that perhaps this is a form of resistive, mm-hmm. what's called in the in the literature, resistive violence mm-hmm. um, or, or resistive abuse. We use that word violence, by the way, and I think everyone thinks physical. But one of the things that we're going to say right at the very top of our track is that um, in the literature and people like us that deal with this on a regular basis, we use the words abuse and violence, domestic abuse, domestic violence, intimate partner violence. Uh, we use those words interchangeably because I would argue that someone who has a pattern of, you know, cutting down or condemning or, or, or hurting someone, even with their words is still being violent. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah, totally. And so, so 
I got off track a little bit there, but what, what I was okay. saying is I was trying to, to differentiate between what we would call abuse and violence um, and what we might say is resistive abuse. Like even, I mean, I've had lots of um, situations where my client, um, who in my case often is the, the perpetrator that's coming to me, um, shows up saying, you know, the last thing that happened was my wife hit me. Does that make mm, sense? Yes. So she actually hit him. Mm-hmm. But then as you're talking about things, why did she hit him? You know, well, she hit him because there is this um, maybe even covert pattern of control and manipulation that he has been uh, using on her for so long that she snapped and she couldn't take it any longer. Mm. She didn't have people walking with her who said, hey, here's some options. Here's some things that you can do. And so she responded, yes, in a sinful way, but not necessarily in an abusive way. And so I think we have to differentiate you know, what is sin and what is abuse. And in, mm. in abuse, it's going to be those patterns of manipulation and control. Yeah, that's really good. Thank you for sharing Very that good. and clarifying all that. Mm-hmm. Um, we, uh, man, we could have a million podcasts uh, of just this topic. So um, we have um, just in transitioning of Speak the Truth, we're wanting to encourage churches to build counseling ministries. And you've actually played a huge part in the village church. And so what would you encourage churches out there uh, of the importance of pastoral care, mm-hmm. um, maybe where to start, uh, I don't know, eliminate any fears or hindrances they might have. Do you have any feedback or advice for them? Yeah, so the biggest thing when it comes to abuse, and part of what we've done at the village, I'm a, as you mentioned, I'm a care deacon at the village, so I'm not on staff there. I'm, I'm just a volunteer, but I'm a, a pretty involved volunteer. Um, and uh, what we've chosen to do is we've chosen to um, train a group of men to walk with abusers um, and train a group of women to walk with uh, victims. Um, and, and we use that term, we love that term in the church, walk with. I didn't even really define that, but we use that a lot in our vernacular. Really by that, I just mean um, Mike said one anothering earlier. That's really what I'm talking about, just doing the one another's with those people, being an advocate for, um, in the case of the women, especially the victims, being an accountability in the case of the perpetrators. Um, and so we do have, we are actually right now even, we're in the process of training uh, people to be advocates for women and accountability for uh, men, perpetrators mm-hmm. in those situations. Um, we do at the village, we do punt to, uh, in, and, and I would encourage this, um, when it comes to actually um, the counseling for the men and for the for the women uh, to actually punt to people that have training in that area. Yeah. Um, because of the fact that working with perpetrators can be so sticky and so dangerous and yes. working with victims involves trauma and you've got to have some background in trauma. So really at the village, what, we, what we're going to do is we're going to say, you need to get professional counseling, but we're not punting our responsibility to you at all. Um, we're going to walk with you. Well, they can we work in walk tandem with, with each other. Right. Yes, we want to walk yes. with you yeah. well. And so what we've got is we've got relationships with counseling centers. We've got relationships with, um, with people that we trust who have training in this area. And, and we, um, we rely on, on them and, and where it's appropriate and where the, the counselees are okay with this, we'll get releases of information so that we can share information back and forth, which is a super helpful thing for churches to do. But you always have to keep in mind, local church, that in, in a counseling, in a professional counseling context, um, a counselee does not have to give you a release of information to talk mm-hmm. to their counselor. And, and, uh, and we don't ever want to twist arms on that, but we just want to say, hey, if, if it's okay 
with you for us to talk to your counselor. We would love to do that and just be able to work with in tandem with your your counselor so that um, you know so that so we're working holistic know, care, man. Yeah. That's yeah. right. So I think, you know, maybe take away just recapping for the church out there in your pastoral care. There might be cases where you are referring out for people who specialize in trauma, yeah. but that doesn't negate the part of maybe creating advocates and certain people within That's your right. pastoral care ministry that can walk alongside them. Accountability, prayer warriors, those types of things help them in the areas of support that only the, well, really the church should right. do. Right. right. Yeah. Because, because if they're seeing an external yes. counselor, they're only going to be seeing that person at most once a week, maybe even mm-hmm. once every couple of weeks, yes. every three weeks or whatever. And so they need people that can walk with them a lot more closely than that. So here is a question. So I'm a church, think about if I'm a church and, um, and I need to find specialized counselors out there, how do I say, this is the one I'm going to refer to versus this one? Like, mm. how, you know, cause you, they need to, cause they're, we're talking to people across the, you know, the United States. So yeah. we've got to find the people we want to refer to and make sure we're referring well. So what yeah. would be one or two tips? Do you have anything? Ooh, Shauna, yes. The question, yes. The one question I was hoping you wouldn't ask. Oh, cause no, I don't, I don't have a so great hard. answer. Okay. I don't have so. a great answer to that right now, but here's what I would say. I would say reaching out to ABC, for example, um, have some knowledge of this and who have some training in this area, mm-hmm. would it, they would at least know, you know, who you should call or contact that might, that might, uh, that might help. And actually some of the people that are on this track with me, Chris Moles, Kathy Haker, Darby Strickland, and myself, we're in the process of trying to like create a network of, of counselors that we can uh, refer people great, to great. in that area. Wonderful. So well, whenever we yeah. get there, we can always put that in the show notes. Well, I, yeah. those names, I can Google those names, find out the organizations and put them in the show notes. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. That's great. All right. Well, Greg, we really appreciate you coming in thank and sitting down with us and educating us. We desperately needed that. The church desperately needs that. So thank you so much. Hey, yeah. can I say one more thing real quick? Yeah. Um, just because this is so important, I didn't want to leave this out. Mm-hmm. Uh, church, care before you correct uh, on these things. Meaning, That's good meaning um, focus on the victim and her safety initially um, and don't conf- don't be too quick to confront a perpetrator. So often what happens in the church is a victim might come and say, hey, you know, I'm raising the flag. I, there's some abusive stuff going on in my relationship or they might even see it in a marriage counseling kind of situation. And immediately the, the church's first response, and I get this, is, hey, we need to we need to go talk to this brother and just say, hey, it's not okay what you're doing. And and yes, that conversation needs to happen, but we have to realize that if that conversation happens too soon, while the wife is still in this situation, what might he do, right, mm-hmm. if he is already bent on misusing power and control, mm-hmm. when he now finds out that the secret is out and people in the church know. And so we want to make sure that her safety is paramount and that yes. when we confront perpetrators, which we should do, uh, hear me saying that, but when we when we confront perpetrators, we need to do that with the advice and consent of the victim. That makes right. sense. Yes, it does. It makes a lot of sense. Thank you, Greg. We appreciate it. 